Hey guys, and welcome to episode 14 of The Dreamer's Disease. My name is Alex, and on each episode, we hear the story of someone inspirational who's out in the world and really doing the things that they love. And we hope to grab a little bit of their knowledge, a little bit of wisdom, and apply those things to our everyday lives. On this episode, I'm joined by my friend and the very amazing Cyan Anderson. And we talk about how she made her very first steps in the music industry, how she went on to set up her own project management company, Sidetrack, how she teamed up with her friend Julia Danuga to set up One True Calling, a mentor program, and then how that developed into Floor 6, which is now a music academy in its first year, and doing some amazing things for young people who want to find their way in the creative industries. And she also gives us an insight into how she manages to balance everything that she does alongside being a mother to a toddler it's just it, it honestly blows my mind it's it, it's really amazing and there was so much to cover that we only touched on half of her career because there was so much to get in but there's some really really great stuff in there some amazing knowledge and nuggets from cyan so i really hope you guys enjoy this episode but before we dive in i'd just like to say thank you for listening for all of you who have subscribed who have left reviews who have checked out the instagram who followed the account it all means so much so let's jump straight in and hear cyan's story hi guys so on this week's episode i'm joined by the boss lady the (laughs) i'm trying to think of loads of different uh, acronyms uh the grime ambassador, the DJ, the presenter, the press entrepreneur, the mentor, scheme runner, company person, um, <laughs> basically the amazing Cyan Anderson. Hey, woo, 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 inside the place. Inside. What's going on? I mean, I'm good, you know, I'm just here painting my nails whilst we have a chat. Casual. Yeah, um, as um, you do. Very much enjoying the smell of the nail polish. Oh, mate, me too. I love this smell. It's so nice. It's great. It's amazing. Yes. Um, So to get us started, Mm -hmm. can you let the people know a little bit about who you are and what you do? I am Cyan Anderson, a human being first and foremost, a DJ, a PR project manager and mentor after. Wait, and a mother. (laughs) Mother. First and foremost. I knew there was something I forgot. Mother. Mother. And we'll come on to all of that. Yes. Um, but can you start by just giving us a little bit of insight into how you got started in everything that you do? That was the very first step for you. So the very first step for me was going to a social enterprise called Live Magazine, which is run by a digital marketing agency called Liberty that doesn't actually exist now. It shut down about a year ago. Um, I went there because my friend Mervyn, shout out Mervyn, said that he was going to interview Trey Songs one time and I was like what I want to do that and he was like yeah man you just go down to this place called Live Magazine meet this woman called Chantal Fiddy like you can interview celebrities so I was like what and Mervyn was super quiet he still is super quiet doesn't ever say much so when he said that I was like right this is serious so I bunked off school one day kids stay in school and I went to Live Magazine and I met Chantal Fiddy and told her I wanted to be a celebrity interviewer and she was like journalist and I was like celebrity interviewer because I was feisty went there with my hair slicked down with gems in my fringe and I was adamant I wanted to be a celebrity interviewer and yeah I spent a lot of time around Live Magazine just watching Chantel and the way she would work and it was very gram orientated which was good because that's what I listened to kind of via my brother I didn't know it was gram I didn't really know much about gram at the time I was about 15 but that's what I knew I liked immediately um and then I think one day I was kind of just getting on Chantal's nerves quite a lot. And she was like, do something, like write something. You're here at the magazine, like write. And she was like, what do you know about? And I was just like, well, I don't know. Like I just kind of sit on the block with my bridges and drink vodka 
Um, and she was like, cool, write about like girl gangs. So I wrote a piece about girl gangs and that kind of just lifted um, off my career. It first got published in Live Magazine and then it went on to, I think, the South London Press. And then, you know, The Guardian hit Chantal up about it because of the backlash that I received because of the article. And then they were aware of me from there. Um, and the London paper, and then I started writing for those guys too. So my first steps were, were Live Magazine, The Social Enterprise. So we can also add writer to the list that we've left out. Journalist, well. yeah. Journalist. Oh my goodness, so of It's too much, right? Um, so was writing a passion you always had, or was it just something that you were kind of forced into by Chantel in that moment? Reading was a passion I had. Always used to read a lot. And I studied English, but I wasn't really plugged into what school was when I was at school. It was kind of more of a social setting for me. And I just got the work done to get teachers off my back. So my thing was, if I do my work well, then I won't have to hear the noise of the teachers in the back of my head. So I was just always, in my mind, getting it done for getting it done's sake. Not really taking in what I was doing. But knowing that if I do this in my best of my ability, I won't have to hear no tomfoolery from no teachers in my headspace. So when I got good grades, it was kind of just like, yeah, whatever. I'm expecting to get good grades. I've done the task that you asked me to do. So the grades should therefore be good. I wasn't really consciously in school. <laughs> like I was there in presence, but in my mind, I was probably somewhere else. So when Chantal told me to write and I started writing and then she started editing and doing sub edits, etc., And I started to see my kind of rants, I guess, about what I get on with in my day become actual articles. I was like, rah, this is good. But then I got quite sick quite quickly of having her change my words um, in order to make them full-fledged published articles so I then got really good at editing myself so that by the time I was kind of like a year and a half in I would send her work and she would do maybe five or six edits and, and then it would get published which was amazing for me because then I was in a stage where I could then become like a sub-editor myself and edit other people's work so I was yeah reading was my first passion and then writing came after and then when I saw my writing really come to life and people really read it and resonated with it, I was like, yeah, I love this. This is like what I want to do. Nice. And still do. Still do. Still yeah. Do. Only now is different because I've learned life lessons <laughs> <laughs> about writing, about like my writing style. I can only write about things I'm super passionate about. Like I went through periods where people would commission me work and I'd write about it for, for writing about its sake and just to pro probably get that that accreditation of being published in certain newspapers or magazines and then I just found that raw the stuff that I really like to read back and share with people are the stuff that I really love and am passionate about so my last couple of articles in the last couple of years have been about like how Spotify could potentially be shit for grime and that was important to me because it was about educating grime artists because I know that they will read my work because it's me and they they trust me so I felt like when Spotify and streaming became part of the charts I really wanted to educate the audiences on what this could potentially mean for them. So that was a key piece for me. And then, of course, being a mother. Was, what was the key? Sorry, just cut you off. What was the key message in that? In the fact that people stream your music and not buy it, essentially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the key thing for me was just that if you're streaming music that's popular, you know, that music is going to be come ahead of the music that isn't so popular so if you're grime and you're putting something out and people don't know that you're there to search you you know it's going to be a harder journey for you mm. but um also it was just about adapting it was about educating grime artists in terms of adapting and 
to, to Spotify because people, and not just Spotify, just to streaming because people in the gram scene just weren't so clued up about that. But you have to remember they started with like selling CDs at the boot of their car and then, you know, vinyls and then iTunes happened and it was like, okay, cool. Now we've got to go digital and get distributors and then streaming. It's like, okay, this is another thing to get our head around. And mm. I think people in gram sometimes don't want to get their head around new things. So it was just about educating them. So, okay, this is here and you're going to struggle. Um, because it took about six weeks when streaming first launched to really impact in the chart. So it was like just about adapting to the fact that for six weeks, you're going to have to go in like hard in the paint before maybe you release a video and about having other assets, etc., and just giving them some back catalogue um, about streaming and how it could affect them. Mm. And to roll it back a little bit. So once you'd sort of done your stint at Live Magazine, you were what, like 15, 16 Yeah, so I left there when I was about 19. I kind of went from like books editor to assistant editor to editor and then I left. Cool. And from there you went into working at record labels, am I right? Uh, whilst I was there, actually. So I also, after becoming a journalist, or whilst I was a journalist, sorry, I was writing about OGs a lot. So P Money, Little D and Blacks, who are, to me, just men from my area, whose music I liked. So I would write about them in all the publications I was writing for when they they all had like releases at the same time one year. And then I became like the go-to person if you wanted to speak to any of those people. And then I would say like, yeah, cool, go here and meet P on the block and interview P. And then they'd after hit me up and be like, right, I need a press shot and I need a biog and a press release for the latest um, release. And I'd be like, I don't know what have these things. And then shout out Stoke PR and Kate Head because they would always send me Tinchy Shadow press releases for Live Magazine. So I kind of flipped a Tinchy Shadow press release and made it into a P Money press release and then got, you know, press shots from someone who had just gone and taken pictures of P and sent them over and obviously at the time I didn't know that you was not allowed to do that in terms of like sending someone's pressure over but did it anyway and yeah I kind of just learned from the PRs how to do PR and then I just by default became P's PR and Little D's and Black's PR um not really knowing what PR was so I was getting like P money like BBC introducing bookings for Glastonbury and stuff like that not realizing that that doesn't really fall into the remit of what PR is but kind of just going along with it anyway because it was always the industry that gave me job titles not me mm. and then so I did the same thing when I met Ed Sheeran and he always used to spit JME lyrics to me and P money's lyrics and everyone's lyrics and he was like I really want to do this collabs and I was like look let's just get on with it you know let's mm. just do it so Project managed the Ed Sheeran number five collaborations EP. And then the major labels was just ringing off my phone after that. Like, we need you to give this Ed Sheeran treatment to all of our other artists. So then Warner employed me to work on Clement Martha on the front line and Stushy. And was this in a PR role? That was funny because it wasn't a role. It was like, we need this girl inside of our building to yeah. do the Ed Sheeran treatment. So the role that they initially gave me was PR. And then it was so funny because every six months... I would be like, okay, cool. My six month contract is up. Like, bye now. And I tell everyone I was leaving and all this stuff. And then my boss would be like, just renew it. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, we'll offer you like an extra 500 quid. And I was like, okay, cool. And then the six months would go and I'd be like, okay, my contract's up. Bye now. Because I really took contract seriously. Like, this is a contract. I've signed it. Like, it was a big deal. Had to have a lawyer and everything. So I'd like always think that the contract was up. So you'd have to leave, innit? Every, like, for like two years, they would just add another £500 to my salary every six months until I was making so much money I didn't know what to do with it. And then they changed my job to promotions coordinator because with Stushy, I was doing above and beyond press, you know? I was taking them to, like, vocal training, like, working on their, like, what they should be doing in terms of their living spaces, in terms of, like, going to the gym, in terms of club shows, coming out with promotional ideas for them. And so they called me promotions coordinator at Warner. And then I went up to... They asked me if I could find someone to do... um 
the job of Ashley Sykes, who was Wiley's marketing manager during Heatwave. He was leaving. And then I'd like put loads of people forward. And then one day they was like, why don't you just do it? And I was like, no, 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 no. I could never do that. Like, I don't know the job role. At this point, I was very aware that like, okay, cool, this is serious. It's like, I don't know the job role. And then they were like, go and speak to every department, like press, TV, radio, etc., and see like how you feel, how much you know about these areas because you work in all of them anyway. And the vibe that I gauged from them was that we will support you through this as individual departments until you, you know, you, you've got this on lock. Like we're happy to do that with you, which was amazing. Warner was such a blessing. They were so lovely because they accepted me just like, how old was I? Like probably like 21 or something, just as a market manager for Wiley who just had a number one. And it was like, yeah, deliver the whole Wiley album and like, let's hope it charts. And I learned on the job but it was a lot easier than I thought it would be just because I had dabbled in radio. And, you know, I was on Rinse FM and one extra were knocking the door. So I did have my head around radio a bit. And then TV, I used to do a lot with Flavor TV and Channel AKA. So I had the contacts and I knew the stations. I just didn't know how to marry that all together in a timeline that would create like a number one album when you've got to look at things like, you know, we was doing adverts for Kiss FM for the Wiley album and we was doing um, billboards and banners and you're looking at like 150 different banner sizes that you mm. have to go through and look at specs and pixels and you're like this is a whole new world and I'll be up into the office till stupid o'clock looking at 180 banner sizes to sign off and approve and with Wiley so it was just like the most difficult and he used to call me at 5am every day I don't know what he was doing up at 5am every day he used to call me and it, and then I used to not answer the phone it'd be ringing 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 and then I'd be late for work every single day because I have no signal in my house I have to stay in one place mm. and then like just in my area so I'd have to have this call with Wiley and then set off to work then I'd be late every day but they understood because they knew that it was like Wiley calling me and if I can only get in contact with him at that time then that's the time it's gonna have to be so it was just an insane couple of years at major label yeah. <laughs> for jokes but you said you know you learned quite a lot on the job yes and that's something that I feel is a very important because a lot of people, are, I feel like they underappreciate their own skills. Mm -hmm. They go into a company or a, or a job or a workplace and they think, I can't do this. But mm -hmm. no one's at the time, obviously, they were expecting you to be able to do the work and they believed in you. But they obviously weren't expecting you to have all the tools and the skills to do that job. Right. So they're yeah. expecting you to be learning on the job. Yes. They were, and I think that was a very risky thing for them to do. And it's something that I actually frown upon right now um, because I feel like a lot of people have now got jobs that they're learning on the job um, with really important, sensitive um, subjects and really important, sensitive issues, and they're not getting the support that they need. Um, whereas before, I think, you know, if Warner would have given me that job and then everybody would have just stepped back and let me shoot myself in the foot, then my career would have gone a lot differently. I was really lucky to have the support. But I think right now people are, you know, giving people jobs and then not really educating them on then how to do the, those jobs. And then, you know, things are going wrong within the music industry. So I think that concept of support from the older generation needs to like really be brought mm. back, man. And I, it's something that Warner were just incredible at, like even still to this day are incredible at. Yeah. And so I think the first time we crossed paths-ish, I think, was you were at Warner and it was around the time you set up one of your companies, Sidetrack, yes. which is your PR agency. My baby. Your first baby. Yes. Um, company baby anyway. Yes. Um, so how, can you just talk me through a bit about like how you went around doing that, why you thought that was the time to do it, and also what is the role of PR for people who don't know? So sidetracks happened by accident and it was because people were like, what does this girl do? Everyone was always asking me for meetings 
because they didn't know what I'd do. They mm. was like, obviously, she's here, there and everywhere. She's on rinse. She's in Warner. She's flying out here and there with everybody. What does she do? And at first, that was fine. But then it got really time consuming. And I thought, right, I need a website. I was obsessed with having a website to show people what I do. But I was like, I already had sanderson.com, which was a blog spot where I would just rant and write about things where I wasn't writing so much anymore. And I didn't want that to be who I am. Um, so I wanted like a professional space. And then one day I was on Rinse and someone was like, your DJ name should be sidetracked, like like the JME song, mm. uh, Jamie and Wiley song. And I was like, no, but my company name could be sidetracked. Because the one thing I wasn't going to do is throw myself into a company name that I'd have to live with forever and ever that I didn't like. So I was always waiting for the perfect company name. So shout out John. I don't know where you are in the world now, but you created Sidetracks. <laughs> and then I got one of the designers at Live Magazine called Jelani to make me a logo. And then I made Sidetrack the website that said PR consultancy and project management. So it separated what I do into three things as Sidetracked. So that Cyan Anderson was a DJ slash presenter and Sidetracked was PR consultancy and project management. And again, that was when I was really like in the m- m- mode of learning what these th- three things were. So obviously PR was all about like press, like getting people into public publications, print publications, getting them in online publications, media training them, just getting them ready for the world in terms of who are you, you know, what is your story, what are you here to say, and then making sure that was executed properly online. And then project management was obviously a bigger scale of that. So like doing timelines for people, I would essentially have a timeline and then everybody else would follow that timeline. So radio, TV, live agent would all follow the timeline and that would be over the course of like a release of an ep and or album or mixtape or whatever exactly so that would be like a longer period of of time and then yeah consultancy was um something that i really had to do because i got to the point where i realized oh my god people are just calling me to come and give them free advice and then going to execute the advice I've given them, but not executing it in the way that I would execute it. So I was like, well, if you're going to take my ideas and they're not doing them properly, I should get paid for them. So consultancy was something that I was doing as well. And it's only been in recent years that people have realised like, okay, there's no point in us having a meeting with Cyan. She's not going to give us anything. Like unless we've actually employed her to be a consultant, like she's not going to give us information on this. I had um, um, A&R of a rock band not even going to say who because I'm not going to draw it in today, but I had an A&R of a rock band hit me up about a year ago and asked to have a coffee. And then he sat there and was like, right, my rock band really want to work with the grime scene. Like who are the hot grime people to work with? And I was like, told him all of the people and like the people to stay away from who weren't really grime and the people who were grime and like the people who are popular and people who aren't. Told him all this stuff, expecting him to be like, okay, cool. Like we want to come put this project together. Never heard from him again. And he went on to work with all of the names of people that I, yeah, that I, that I mentioned and they all worked with this rock band and I just never heard from him again. I still can't remember his name now. It was just insane. Cause so yeah, that was happening. And so yeah, Sidetracked was like me putting a stamp on what I do and what these services cost and just kind of like leveling up and being a bit more professional about where I was at at the time. And then we just got so much work. I say we, I got so much work off the back of that. All the other labels would call me to do projects for them. And it was weird because I was working for Warner, but then doing projects for like Sony and Universal and all these other brands, which I don't think you're supposed to do. Yeah, I was going to say, were were they happy with it? Did they obviously knew? Well, it became a conflict of interest one day because I was working on the Smiler project um, at Warner and then I was working on the Sincere project at Mercury and press just kept coming back to me saying, look, essentially you've just got two black rappers who are releasing on the same date, like pick one. And then I had to either say to my artist who I was like project managing or the artist that I was project managing over there, another label, oh, sorry, one of you's going to have to move your release date. So it became difficult then. Um, but it was around the same time that I decided to actually stop doing it as well with the press stuff. 
because it wasn't wasn't really what I wanted to do mm. around that point anyway. Like I was into being a product manager now and that is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so you stopped the press stuff. Okay. But well, I, 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 I stopped the press stuff, yeah, but the so company continues. This is, yeah, so this is going to be my question. The, yeah. the company sidetrack yes. continues and still continues. Yes. So how did you go about finding staff essentially? Because, you know, you would have had to reach out to, you know, one or two people to start with. Yeah. For them to sort of, as you said, take the lead on it because you were stepping back and going into other, you know, areas of your career. So how yeah. did you find people that you could bring in and, and really trust to carry the company forward? The thing is, I always had people asking to intern with me and work with me. So I already had a team of people who I trained up to do PR really well. So like Raid, he had come to me and he was like, I want to set up my own PR company. I love what you do. Can you give me some tips? And I was like, well, actually you can come and work for me for a year and then ask me any questions you want. I can help you set it up with HMRC, et cetera, all the other fun stuff, companies, house, et cetera. And then you can go off and set up your own company. And then about like nine months in, I was like, right, so we got to help you set up your company now. Like, what's it going to be cool? What's it going to look like? And he was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Like I've seen what you go through on a day to day with just the company stuff and I'm not doing it. I'd rather just stay here and work here. So I was like, are you sure? Like, cause that's obviously a big jump from what you wanted to do. Like work for someone else and have your own company is two completely different things. And he was like, yeah, like I want to stay working at Sidetrack. So he had his role as head of press and he was allowed to take on the artist he liked. He would work on artists I liked. He would have his interns, he would train them up. And he was an incredible PR and did some incredible work. Like I could go away for two weeks and come back and everything would be like 100% legit. And everybody loved him. Like he would go out and work the circuit and be in everyone's faces, be at all the events when I couldn't slash didn't want to. So that was really good. Um, and yeah, the people that worked under him were really good and everybody's kind of gone on to do incredible things. Like we had a guy called Grant um, coming in turn for us and I think he's like the the hip hop editor at Clash magazine now. Yeah. Um, Paris O, who is the head of Urban at Sony, I think she is. Yeah. Like there's so many incredible people who've come through Sidetracked um, and worked with Raid or worked with myself that have now gone on to do real like PR in like big yeah. sick places. Well, it's amazing that you mention Paris, because she was on episode three, oh, I think, it? off the top of my head. And she obviously bigged up Sidetrack and, you know, you and Brade and, and the work that you kind of done to help her. So you've obviously got a kind of, I guess, a passion of trying to help others and bring them through and bring through like a younger generation or, you know, anyone who's kind of passionate enough about it. Mm-hmm. Where do you think you get that drive to help people from? I reckon partly because the people that helped me were Chantal Fiddy. Hattie Collins, Genius at Rinse, you know, Sam at Liberty. It was essentially like people who are not from my world, who don't look like me, who don't sound like me, who are nothing to do with me. And they've invited me into their world to do what I do. And and that's always shocked me. Like I've always looked around and thought, wait, where are the people who look like me and sound like me, who do what I do, who can offer me advice or help me in ways that I might need help kind of outside of the professional capacity? And I couldn't always find those people. And then Julie, as a new girl, obviously she's one of my best friends and she was my rock and I was hers because we were like, basically the only people doing what we was doing. And we would have these questions, like especially like cultural questions or integrity based questions about the things that we were doing and what we should and shouldn't do and stuff. Like I remember the first time we came to the BBC building, we was both like, oh no, this is well corporate, like not really feeling it. Like we wasn't feeling it at all. And then we both left feeling like, oh, no, that demo was not good. And nah, nah, I think we don't like this, you know? But like, had we had someone who was like more up our street, they would have been able to tell us that and we could have saved ourselves a bother, you know? Mm. So part of it came from the fact that 
I want someone to feel like I can look at someone who speaks like me, is from where I'm from, who looks like me and get some advice from them. Um, and that's that's a lot of where it came from. And then the other half is just, I feel like I've got so much to give. You know, like I felt so full in my life for so long that I feel like I've got so much to give to other people. And people always say to me, oh, how come you've got like all these PRs working for you? And then they go off and set up their own companies. Like, aren't you pissed? And I'm like, no, because who? Do, when people hit me up and I, I ain't got the capacity to take on a work, where do they go? Nowhere. And you've got all these MCs and artists and singers and songwriters who can't be represented properly because there's no one to look after them. Like, I was sick of the strain. I was like, there needs to be five or six different PR companies that I can direct you to because at the moment there ain't any and I'm having to take on everybody's work for small chump change. And that's not essentially where I want to be neither. Mm. So, yeah, it was like, I think it was important to have a me there then and then there became, you know, five or six PR companies. And I was like, well, I need to do this less and less. You know, the passion of like, I need to do this because no one else is doing it, just kind of goes away when there's 10 million people doing it and doing it well. So I felt comfortable about kind of stepping out the PR game because I was like, there's 20 people I could direct you to who can do what I do now. And they look like me and sound like me. They understand our world and you can go and get represented there and have amazing campaigns and get on with your day. Yeah, which is, you know, I think testament to the work that you've done in terms of helping people and having that guidance and people then going out and stepping out and having the courage to set up their own thing. And yeah. not a lot of people have that ability to inspire people to go and do that. It's more like come and work for me and then they kind of stay there or they go into another company or whatever. But these people are going out and doing something that yeah. they want to do off their own back, which is amazing. And you mentioned Julie, mm-hmm. um, who is effectively your creative other half, I, think, mm-hmm. I say, right? Yeah. So, Similar to me and Moz, it's a very yes. similar situation, right? But you're you two are like big boss ladies, and we're just like <laughs> oh whatever. We're just we're just trying. Um, so one of your newer projects is One True Calling, yes, with Julie, yes, and that is specifically a mental scheme, yes. How did the two of you come up with the idea? We always have mentored, but it got to a point in both of our careers where it was impossible to keep mentoring and still do our jobs. I can't mentor 40 people and still turn up to radio with a clear head. So One True Calling was about like mentoring people at mass. And it was also about the fact that people always used to tell us, only do one thing, don't do loads of things. And I got to a stage and Julie got to a stage where it was like, you don't just have One True Calling, you might have 10. So come and explore those. And it's really difficult to, in the time that you have in between the ages of say 18 and 25, really difficult to try 10 things because you've got bills to pay. You need to feed yourself. You probably have a family to support. So this was like, come to Andrew Calling, try everything, see if you even like it before you give up your life to come and have a job in it. Because we've met loads of people and I'm sure you have too who've given up everything to come and work in the music industry and then it not go to plan and they are left with nothing and essentially no one cares. They don't care because everyone's got their own struggles. So this was about that. And it's amazing. Like we've got a 22 year old nurse from Norwich called Amber who came to want you call in. And she was like, I like grime music. You know, that's about it. I've always wanted to work in music, but I have no idea in what. And within the first couple of months, she'd written for SBTV. She'd written for Red Bull. She'd done a, a radio show on Represent Radio. Now she has a weekly show on Represent. She travels from Norwich to Represent to play grand music. And it's completely not her world, but what she does and what she writes about and what she talks about is like marrying the two worlds. So she's like, okay, cool, middle class from Norwich. And like, I'm essentially Katie Hopkins. 
but I don't agree with Katie Hopkins. So she speaks to Katie Hopkins. Do you get Do you get me? Does yeah, that make yeah, sense? Yeah. So like, so like when I can talk, I can write about politics and speak to my audience, and they understand because they understand my language. She can write and speak to Katie Hopkins, and Katie Hopkins understands. But she's speaking for us. So she's just someone who's just massively important and like has a massive passion for culture and learning culture and deciphering culture and then teaching other people about culture and. She still doesn't know what her one true calling is yet. Is it present art? Is she going to end up being a DJ? Is she going to stay being a nurse? Like, but that's the point. That's the fun in it. Like, you can be a nurse in the nighttime and a grand DJ in the daytime, and it's absolutely fine that like, you can do that. So that was what one true calling was about, and it, we did it for a year. Well, we did it once, and then Julie got really busy with beats. I got really busy with one extra in life, and obviously I had a baby as well. Always forget about that. I did one true calling. I think I was like six months after I had my son. Mm. So it was like, yeah, I needed to get back into like mummo properly. And I felt like if we do this, we need to do it properly. Because we wasn't a registered charity, you know, it wasn't a registered company of sorts. It wasn't legit. There was a lot of things that happened that we were not equipped for. And I mean like emotionally working with young people, things like people would call me at one o'clock in the morning, like I've been kicked out of my house or, you know, I've just had an argument with my boyfriend or just whatever had happened to them in their day. And it was my responsibility to deal with them. But I have a child of my own and a career of my own and worries and problems of my own that I have to deal with first of all. And second of all, I probably am not best equipped to help you here. So there was a lot of safeguarding things that we didn't think about. So it was like, cool, let's just put a stop to this and really think about it and then come back again, which is why I set up Floor 6, because that's probably, I guess, the the legit version of what One mm. True Calling was. Yeah, and so what I'm interested in with One True Calling was how did you structure the programme? Because it worked over, was it a week? It weeks? was, oh goodness, what was it? It's gone, gone from my head, was it? Yeah, it was two weeks and it was weekends, I believe. It was Saturdays and Sundays. And then we had, I think, eight courses over the two weekends. Yeah, and yeah. each of those courses was something different. Yes. So what what were the things that you wanted to cover the most? Because obviously, like you said, um, there was like a presenting element, there mm -hmm. was like a editing, videography mm -hmm. element. So what, what were the things that you wanted to, to cover within that? Well, it's, that was really interesting because Julie and I have always had um, different strengths and weaknesses that complement each other. For example, like Julie's really good at design and she can make videos. So, and that was just down to the fact that we had no money to do, like pay people to do things for us back in the early days. So we used to just do everything ourselves. So I was obviously really good at writing and, and project, project planning. And she's really good at like videography and like she could take pictures and like, all of that stuff. So it was, I guess her three main strengths and then my three main strengths coupled together and it was good because people that wanted to be videographers had to do the presenting like everybody had to stand up and present for 30 seconds in front of everybody and you're thinking I just came here to be a videographer but actually raw I quite like presenting so now I might stand in front of the camera as well as be the person behind the camera so it was just this is what we know how to do at the time so that's what we're going to do and then with floor six it was like I wanted to make it bigger than that and bring in elements of areas that I don't know. So there are courses on floor six that I could not begin to help you with, but there are specialists there who can um, in order to make it more inclusive for everybody and not just kind of a list of things that Sian Anderson can do because that's whack, no one cares. <laughs> Some people do. Some people Some do, people but do. at mass, like there are other things that people care about. And the thing about floor six as well is that like, I don't, I, I think we make the mistake a lot in music of, um, 
just being up our own asses, you know? Like, we just think the music industry is the only thing that exists and that matters. And, you know, if Stormzy does something for the culture, that's for the culture and we're all winning. And it's like, no, we are not. Like, on my block, there are still people who, like, are speaking in slang, wearing tracksuits, and they're not being listened to because of the way they speak and what they dress like. And they want to be barbers or they want to be footballers and they can't get a look in. They're, They're still there. So for my culture in particular... I want to be able to expand and do something that suits them too. Like I want to be able to add a sports course to floor six where you go and do 10 weeks in sports academies and, you know, like a hairdresser's apprenticeship where, or a styling apprenticeship where you can come and you can learn how to style or you can learn how to do hairdressing and, and then you can go off into the big bad world. So floor six was, it was less about music. It's just started with a music academy, but this was about having something that you can really like move into other areas of, mm. of, of culture, black culture. And so at Floor 6 is fairly new, right? Six months or so? Yeah, I mean... Or since the launch, I think it yeah, was. So yeah, so our launch was on the 31st of March. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. quite new. So as you said, it started out as a music academy, mm-hmm. which was the primary goal. Was it a plan to have it like uh, One True Call and have it as like a, a scheme that happened over a certain amount of time, small period of time? Or is it a plan to have something that was built that would, you know, people can get involved and stay involved in it from a kind of uh, student point, I guess, student or learning point of view for like six months, 12, whatever they want to take out of it. Uh, my crazy ideas always take the craziest forms. Like they always take the craziest format. So like my first, what Floor 6 was, was fucks. It was fuck cyan. And it was mixes that I would do. Where I'd have like Big Nasty or like just whatever MC jams, whatever MC I was feeling, come and do a 30 minute mix with me. And then we put it up on ID. And then I would go and do live shows and do like a club tour, fuck Cyan tour. It was banter. Then I was making a t-shirt generator, the way you could go and generate your own fucks t-shirt. So you could say like, fuck whatever you want, like, you know, like fuck TV or fuck walking dogs or just whatever, F-U-X-X. So that was the idea. And then I said to JTK, no, no, I said to Sincere, Lizzie, like, oh, like I need some money to do this thing. And he was like going back and forth for time. Then one day I had a meeting with JTK. I was helping him do some write-ups for some carnival stuff. And I said, I'm glad to meet Sincere about this thing. He was like, what? I'll do that. Like, how much do you need? I was like, five grand. He was like, cool, yeah, I'll do that. Like, I'll invest in that. It's cool. So then a couple of weeks later, I called him and was like, right, do you know what? I just clocked. We can do this and that and this and that and this and that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, cool. And Jason just literally said, yeah, yeah, cool to everything that I wanted to do. And I was thinking, this is crazy. So my eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, when someone's like, yep, yep, all (laughs) good. It's just too easy. Yeah, like, and I've known him for like, I don't know, like 11 or 12 years. So I think he just trusted in me that if I say, let's do this and it's sick, it will be sick. And then I was like, okay, cool, like, I've made all these records. I'd got all these records made from, from Fuck Cyan Mixes, where I'd take the best Big Nasty instrumental and Big Nasty, and he'd make a tune. The best jams instrumental and jams, and they'd make a tune. So I had, like, 10 tracks. So I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot I got all these tracks. He was like, well, let's just release an album, and then, like, compilation. I was like, yeah, 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 let's do that. And then I was like, actually, wait a minute. And then, so literally every week, my eyes were just getting crazy and crazy, and I was like, Music Academy. We have a Music Academy for young people. Let me see this. And he was like, if you know what you're doing, then just get on with it. So everything just, just yeah just (laughs) rolled into and then when it was like oh my god this is the opportunity for me to do everything I want to do in one place it was like the light bulb just went on in my head and was like right we've got to pilot this for one year and then we got to just see like how this goes and how we can make it bigger so we're still in that stage now of like oh right this is happening and this is happening Mm. and this opportunity is there and that opportunity is there and actually we can do this so the other day we had like um, five opportunities 
that have come to us, but for after the academy. So I was like, oh, right, if we add one more, then that's six steps. So this is four, like floor six, you've yeah. done six steps. So we was like, okay, cool. When you leave the academy, you're going to do this, 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 this. And then when we launch the academy again next year, you're going to become a mentor. Mm. So that's now what's going on with the academy. And that's literally just because we had so many opportunities offered to us that we wanted to do for the young people that we was like, we might as well do it. Because this is 10 weeks out of the year. But for the rest of the year, there ain't nothing going on with Floor 6 other than the creative agency stuff that we do for record labels and the music that we release and like the artists that we publish. And all of that publishing and record label stuff is just money to go back into Floor 6 Music Academy because it was insanely expensive to do this. Hmm. Beyond expensive to do this. So that was all like, okay, cool, let's make some money back so that we can run this next year. But all these things happened because Jason kept saying yes. <laughs> like it was like the world is my oyster and then as soon as I said young people he was like yep I'm in like whatever it is you want to do to help young people I'm in even down to we said that we was going to do 20 applicants and I chose 40 one day when he was out wireless and I picked 40 instead of 20 and I emailed them and said they was all in he was like we said 20 and I'm like I'm sorry Jason but you know they were too good and you was busy doing wireless or love box or whatever he was doing so I just made an executive decision and he's just like you're insane <laughs> but it's good because it's like we're mentoring yeah. bare kids sick and so once once someone comes into the program mm. right so say i'm like 16 year old i want to get into somewhere in the music world or, or the creative industries come to you guys at floor six mm -hmm. i want to learn my six steps yeah what happens after that do you help place them into work do you help you know put them in contact with people or is it like you know when you see watch like david attenborough documentaries and it's like the the, the little baby birds are trying to fly off the cliff ah, on their own with their little wings. Is it that kind of thing? And you're kind of at the bottom going, come on, you can do it. No, uh, so many people have been poached from us already. They're like, because so, social media is so big for Floor 6. Every time we tweet, it just goes off. Mm. So everyone who's got Floor 6 in their bio go, like, is telling people that they're at Floor 6. People's ears are pricking up like, oh, you're at Floor 6. Oh, you work under Cyan and Jason and this person, that person. Like, oh, let's employ you. So we had to lose like three people to other people employing them like as soon as they found out that there was on Floor 6 Academy, which was annoying, but not annoying because that's the aim and it get you into work. But so there was that. And then because we work with so many companies like we work with like um, Vivo, we work with Red Bull, we work with Liberty. They have they've always got stuff going on themselves where they want to send people to and they love working with young people too. So like Vivo are shooting a documentary of what we're doing at Floor 6, but then the guy who they've employed to do it, Keen, is like, oh, let me use your young videographers to do it. So they're now in Vivo, like filming this big production that we just never even expected was going to happen for them. And then you've got like um, Liberty, who on their mailing list, they send jobs out every week. And then they say to people, oh, like we want to do like, um, big meeting groups of 50 people will pay you 50 quid to come down and sit in this focus group and then like the kids are making money so during the course you meet so many people that you end up learning so many other things and going along your path anyway but the way you leave us at floor six and the accreditation that we decided because we did think about a lot of different formats we thought about like funding government investors etc in the end me and jason pay for it ourselves but we thought about what would we want as accreditation if we came through any course and to me it was a physical product because people that come to me are either people who just finished uni who are like finished uni I've got a degree but I can't do anything with it or they're people who are in school and they're unhappy and they want to get practical experience before they even have to think about going to uni so they're the two drastic sides mm. of things they're either super young and they're like don't really want to go to uni or they've just finished uni so that was like we want to give you a physical product if you come to me and say, I've been to uni, I've got a degree in PR, can I work for you? Yeah, cool. 
if you come to me and say, I've just been doing PR, I've PR this project here, can I work for you? Probably more likely to say yes, because I've seen it there in front of me, what you've done. So we've put their accreditation as a show at the Roundhouse on the 20th of October. They will, all the 10 courses will be doing something on that floor six all day or so. The videography, photography and journalist courses are putting together an exhibition. So the photography ones are doing Shoot the Shooter. So they're going to shoot Vicky... Growl, Ashley vs. Courtney, a photo, and they're going to exhibit nice. that. Then the journalists are putting together a zine, like a This Is Britain zine, of all the things that they think are important in Britain, and it's important for them to do a zine, like a physical, like, step one, like, we are making this scene on pen and paper. No internet, nothing, pen and paper, making mm. a scene. And then the videographers are filming the whole process, and they're out there filming certain um, documentary-led bits for their own exhibition to exhibit to people and then it goes into a concert where all the people on our artists and producer courses are going to come out and do a 12 minute medley at the beginning of the show to open the show and show people what they've been doing and that's like the artists are world apart like mm. we've got like a soul singer who like only ever likes working with a live band but then we've got a rapper who hates live bands and they're going to have to come out together and make it work so that's really exciting for the artists then we've got the events team and the pr team whose job it is to put the event on stage manage it lighting production all that stuff and then the um, PRs obviously have to PR it, get it all over the internet, get it all over the, the the press and the magazines. So everyone, the presenters are going to present it, the DJs are going to DJ it. Everyone has an accreditation. They're going to leave the twentieth of October, being able to say to you, "Here, Alex, here's what I've done. Here's a video of me presenting at Roundhouse. Here's a video of me performing at Roundhouse. Here's my vi my video exhibition at Roundhouse. Here's the the pro whole project plan of the event that I put on at Roundhouse as an event manager. Here's all the press that I did for Roundhouse. And they're going to be able to go to an employer and say, here is this, mm. please employ me. After that, if you're still, the little bird at the end still fluttering, I can't help you. If you're going through 10 weeks of extensive, intensive training with us and you've got a physical product in your hand to go off to someone with and you still manage to fall and plummet and flat on your face, I'm so sorry, I can't help you. But what we do have for lols um, is is the are the five steps after so you will be able to go i can't say what they are right now because they're still all embargo but we have between october now and next october five other things happening that they can all come back for so we might call the presenter and be like can you come and present for this mm. or we might call the event team and say we're doing this event and you are heading up this event videographer you're going to come and film it pr team you're going to pr nice. it we are going to have like more opportunities for them over the next. Yeah. And and that's take it or leave it because you start with 40 people, you know, three people get employed elsewhere, three people you chuck off the course for personal reasons. And then, you know, in the end, you might be left with like 30 who want to go on to the next step, but then 10 of them get jobs and then five of them decide they don't like the music industry and then five of them get married and then you're left with like 10 kids. And so, you know, you're always going to, it's always going to dwindle down. Um, which is the joy of running it again next year if we make enough money this year to do it. Yeah. Well, hopefully it does because, like, it's an amazing idea Like that everything in plan and in process just sounds incredible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of young people will get a lot of help through it, especially up to, you know, if you've got up to 40 people at a time. Yeah. And obviously if it goes as well as it can do this year, next year, you'll be looking to bring in more people, I'm imagining. Yes. 50, 60, maybe well, upwards. 100? No. No, no 1,000 people. No it's all space dependent, yeah, isn't it? Of course. But, um, you know, you're, you're you're having that direct influence on these people and, you know, helping them jump off the cliff and try and yes. literally find fly, their wings. Fly. Um, And watching them with a big smile on your face as yes. they do succeed, some of them. They said some of them might drop out and go and do other things. But, you know, still they've had the experience. 
But the thing that blows my mind the most, mm-hmm. and that, I mean, we haven't even touched on some of the stuff you do. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't touched on presenting. We haven't touched on DJing. We haven't really touched on product management. Mm-hmm. So the, everything that we've spoken about, the thing that blows my mind, how do you balance that all together like as one? Like how do you find the time to do everything and be a mother to a toddler? <laughs> like how do you, like where? Do you know what? It's experience. It's experience and it's delegating. That's what it is. It's experience and delegating. Like I never, like I learned journalism before I moved into PR. Then I learned PR before I moved into being a radio host. Then I learned being a radio host before I learned to be a DJ. Do you know? Like I learned everything one by one. So it became like most of my job is talking. Most of my job is saying, right, this is what we're going to do. And then handing over to professional to do. So shout out Emma Stevens, because I put together the idea of Floor 6 and Jason helped fund Floor 6. And then Emma was like, right, I know Safeguarding. I know working with young people. I'm CRB checked. Here's all the things we need to do. And then Jason's friend, Eddie, was like, right, cool. I work with schools and funders and people to get money. And so I'm going to go off and do this. So most of it is me sprawling my ideas out to people and then people who know what they're doing, going to get it done. So a a lot of that is just me being on the phone and me being on email. Um, so don't give me, I guess, more credit than it's due. But yeah, my son is like um, super epic. Mm. He's super epic. And I went back to work after three months because I had a different purpose. Then it was yeah. like, right, okay, cool. Like, baby needs shoes. You know, it was the whole different thing. And people kept saying to me, how are you going to stop your son from being an MC <laughs> or a rapper? I was like, what? I'm going to tell everyone that he's lying. Like, he's not going to be talking about no trap, trap, bando struggle that his mum's been in. Like, none of that. Like, Mm. I'm going to get on the radio and tell everyone, this is my son's new single, but he's lying. There's no truth in this song. He lives in a big old mansion in the countryside. Like, please don't let him fool you. You know, like that. Like, if he wants to do music, cool, but I'm going to tell everyone you're lying. So Mm. you better find a whole next concept Mm. to come and not be trying to do this driller stuff. Um, But on a serious level, I was like, I have to make sure that my son is so set in life that he never has to, like, have a struggle. And I want him to be set in a way that's like when he's 16, 17 and he's thinking about doing music or, I don't know, being a footballer, whatever it is, there's somewhere he can go for advice. And that place is floor six because I can't see it anywhere else. Mm. So it was, to me, it was like when I'm leaving the house to make floor six happen, I'm doing that for Elijah. Do you get me? I'm doing that to make sure that he has a place that he can go, a safe place for him and his friends where he knows he can go and learn and even like I said, live magazine shut down, even if he's not going somewhere to learn, I think it's important to have a space like I did with live magazine where you can just go and sit and stare up in someone's face and just be off the streets, not drinking vodka. Mm. Like, that's just as important. So hopefully we get a sick floor. <laughs> There's sort of lots of beanbags and a studio and just yeah. all the fun stuff that young people love. And lots of Snickers bars and Kit Kats and healthy water and grapes and stuff that people can just come and sit and exist and feel safe. Um, so with Elijah, it was that, yeah, I know I need to do this for him. So when I'm leaving to do this for him or doing radio or whatever it is, it's for him. But I've got a good balance in that a lot of the people around me know what they're doing. So I can just tell them what needs to be done and then spend my time with my son. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great because, you know, like you said, if you're building something up with, and, you know, it's not just him directly, but also that kind of generation of kids who are going to grow up and going to be seeking somewhere to go and mm-hmm. learn and hang out and meet people and do cool stuff and creative stuff and not have to hang on the street in the park you know exactly. drinking uh Bacardi breezes or whatever like <laughs> MD 2020 yeah <laughs> but the other thing was like and I never realized this until it happened but like when I wrote my article about just being a mum in music I had so many women reaching out to me and some of them was like I'm a mum in music and like I can't make it work 
And some of them was like, I'm never having kids because I don't think I can make it work. So I was like, rah, like, no, no, no I'm going to show you all that you can do this. You could definitely do this. And like, there was a lot of like, like controversy, I guess, with me putting Elijah on the internet. Because I put him on my Insta story. I put pictures up of him, etc. And there's this whole, oh, you don't put your kids on the internet thing. And I'm like, middle finger up to that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm doing this for a different purpose. I'm not doing this to be show, show image. I'm doing this to show all these women that hit me up when I wrote that article that you can most definitely work in the music industry, be a presenter, be a DJ, be a journalist, be a mentor, be whatever the hell you like with your child and still look good, good doing it. Mm. Do you know that? Like, like you can definitely do this. Like don't let no one tell you or make you feel like you can't. And when I looked to find a person who was going to be my influence when I had a baby and I wanted to come back to work, the only person I could find was Annie Mack. Yeah. And I'm not to, that's not to say that she's the only person that's out there, but the only person I could find who's in my space was Annie Mack. And I was like, right, cool. Annie gets up every day. She looks after her child. She comes to work and she presents a show and she goes and DJs. If Annie Mack can do it, I don't see why I can't do it. Mm. So I would like people to be able to look at me and say the same thing. Like, okay, cool. She gets up and she goes and looks after her child. And the one thing people always say when they see Elijah on the internet is, oh my God, he's such a happy baby. He is so mm. happy. You've seen him, yeah. right? He's so happy. He's always smiling. He's cheeky. Like he never has any sort of qualms or any sorts of worries. He is so blessed. So my, sh that's my thing. Like I want to show women, you can definitely have a baby mm. and go back to work three months later and snap back and look after your child and still be an OG at what you do. Yeah. So that was like massively important for me as well. Yeah. That's a sick message to get across. Cause like you said, a lot of people probably would, I mean, I can't speak from experience, obviously, <laughs> but a lot of people would struggle with that kind of thing. So it's good to have someone like you and Annie and, you know, all the other amazing women out there who are mothers and Name still one more. killing... Uh, do you know what? <laughs> Top of my head, my mum. <laughs> yes, big up mumsy. My mother. Um, so, yeah, that it's just incredible for people to have those women to look up to and go, right, they can do it, I can do it, because there isn't a lot of it. And a lot of people kind of feel it, it could be a hindrance rather than actually something to drive you on and be more yeah. of an inspiration, which is sick. So, what is next for Cyan Anderson? Less is more for Cyan Anderson. Less is more. Okay. Yeah, less is more for Cyan Anderson. I've spent 10, 11 years doing everything. Right now, I want to delegate everything and do nothing and just spend time with my son. Like, I've done the, okay, cool, had a baby, got back on with my work, got things established, back thing. Um now my son's approaching two and he's just like so much fun to be around and to hang out with and we go on holiday all the time and we hang out all the time and he's just epic and now I'm like right I want to in these years where he's like a sponge and picking everything up and mm -hmm. back chatting me and everything mm -hmm. I want to spend as much time with him as possible like just shaping an incredible human being so now is my time where I'm like this has all been great but hit pause let the academy run itself because it does and there's incredible people that run it and, you know, still do my radio show and still go out and DJ. But like the bulk of my time right now has to be in nurturing my son in these age, ages. So that's what's next for Santa. And I'm kind of looking forward to things being samey for a couple of years. Like I just want to run floor six mm. and be a presenter and a DJ and be a mum for the first time in my life. Just have like that stability of only doing a couple of things and doing them really well. So that's what's yeah. next. Nice. Mummager. Momager, no, 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 yeah. I'm joking. I'll never do that to you. <laughs> I would never do that to you. Oh my God, imagine. Oh, imagine so I funny. just had him there, like, oh. his little Giuseppe's, his little Montclair coat, like, rapping as a baby. That'd be so insane. Uh, those early videos of him rapping. Right? Really blows. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, okay, so if we roll back the clock mm -hmm. and we go back to 
Sian Anderson, who's just about to go to Live Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, what three bits of advice would you give yourself to start doing? Mm-hmm. And what one bit of advice would you give yourself to stop doing? Both of those things are HMRC, mate. <laughs> the biggest advice is learn your accounts and your HMRC stuff. ASAP urgent straight away. I still can't get my head around it. It's still the most annoying thing in the world having to deal with HMRC and company's house and understand all of that and what it means. And I guess, yeah, your lawyer is your best friend. Your accountant is your best friend. Those are the major keys that we just don't think about because it's not the fun part. It's not the creative. And we just end up effed up over it. I've seen it happen to so many people. And even just like Headspace, it makes you unhappy. Like it makes me unhappy having to deal with HMRC constantly and accountants constantly and like lawyers constantly. Obviously I love my lawyer, but like it's such a, not what I want to think about. It's not the glamorous side of things, basically, but it's the absolute necessity. So necessary, so necessary. And I just wish I would have known what I know now about just having your shit in order in Mm. terms of that side of things, because I spent so many years like, like fighting the system, I guess, go like trying to go back and forth on how to best make things work for it to then change to then you to adapt to that for then to change again. And then it's like, it's a never ending struggle when you're trying to do it yourself. So trying to get someone else to look after that for you as early on as possible is just a blessing. Mm. So I would say that. Amazing. And last question, Mm -hmm. which you've kind of already answered, but I think as a whole, what would be your ultimate happiness goal? Ultimate happiness goal is my sixth floor building. I want that building. I need a sixth floor building. I want to own floor one to six, but if I just get floor six, that's fine. But I need there to be a safe place for young people that you can just roll up to. Like, just roll. Just come here and there might be a studio session going on over there. There might be a photography session going on over there. There might be whatever is going on, but you can just come in here and you can sit down and you can exist and feel safe. Like, I just want a safe place for young people. I think so many things go wrong these days because young people don't find a safe place. Sometimes it's not their house. Sometimes it's not their school. Like sometimes they don't have a friend's house or an auntie or an uncle, or they just don't have somewhere they can go in at a moment where you feel like you just need to get away from everything. And then they take a wrong turn, complete wrong direction. And it, and they can never come back from it. So I want people to feel like something mad is about to happen or something mad has happened. I can go here and I can get the advice that I need and I can, just sit down and cool off or I can just sit in a corner and meditate and do you know like or there could be absolutely nothing wrong and I just want to sit in an environment with noise but the right kind of noise and I, I want people to just be able to come to floor six even if you're not part of the music academy or anything we're doing and just sit in a corner and drink a couple of water with some cucumber and some lemon and some ice and just exist that yeah. is what is my end goal for me environment for me to be in environment for my son to be in environment for every young person out there to be in i want that i want a safe place floor six okay. building amazing yes. well hopefully it comes sooner rather than later speak it into existence and man. i'm sure it will um so before we sign out can you let the people know where they can find you online yes. and where they can find out more about at floor six cool yeah you can Follow me at Cyan Anderson, that's S-I-A-N-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And Floor 6 is at Floor 6, so A-T-F-L-O-O-R-S-I-X-X. It's got two X's. And yeah, you can just Google Floor 6 and all of the stuff that we do and how you can get involved will come up. Yeah, and that's including the website. Yes. Cool, perfect. The event that's coming up. October 20th. Yes, there's tickets, tickets, tickets 
on sale for the all day out October 20th. Please go to Dice. Please go to the Roundhouse website or TicketWeb and you can get tickets for the all day on 20th of October. It's really important that people come to this actually because if we are able to sell out this show, then we can afford to do Floor 6 Music Academy again next year because I'm not paying for it again myself, yeah. basically. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'll definitely be there. So um, I'll see you there. It's going to be an incredible event. Thank you. you so much for joining me, uh, sharing your knowledge, even though we only talked about maybe like six eighths of the things that you do. I'll come on again. But we'll come back and we'll get the rest of your story and the other side of your career another time. But yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. No worries. So there we have it, guys. That was Cyan's story. As you can tell, you know, she's got so much drive and so much passion for what she does. And ever since I've known her, she's been exactly the same. She's got this amazing ability to just go for what she wants and, and makes it happen. And, you know, hopefully there's there's a lot of nuggets in there that we can take out and, and learn from her, you know, from how she works to, you know, the way she sets things up to her mindset. And, you know, she's got a real like get up and go attitude about her. And, you know, now that she's become a mother, her drive has increased almost like tenfold and is pushing her further and further towards the bigger goals that she wants to create and you know helping people along their way and it's just amazing to see someone who spends so much time not only on themselves but trying to help and educate other people so thanks for listening if you liked what you heard make sure you share it with a friend who you think might like cyan's story you can also hit me up on twitter if you've got any more questions at i am alex manzi or you can head over to the instagram page dreamers disease underscore podcast and leave a comment leave a review on itunes as well which would be amazing because it allows me to see what you guys are thinking about the episodes and as i said before i really appreciate all the support and there's loads more great episodes lined up so i'll see you guys next time and remember to keep on dreaming